Once again, Isaiah chapter 9, beginning with verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David, and over his kingdom to establish and to uphold it. Here ends the reading from the Old Testament. Thank you, Stan. It was my sophomore year in college, and I was involved with the student government at Trinity University. I uh, shared an office with this really cute girl who was a junior. I was a sophomore. She was a junior. I was from Midland, Texas. She was from San Francisco, California. I was a Cowboys fan. She was a 49ers fan. We really didn't have a lot in common, but she was cute. I noticed that. And one day, she happened to mention that on Sunday, she had worshipped at University Presbyterian Church right off the campus there near Trinity, and I took that as a sign from God that I should ask her out. So I asked her if she would like to grab lunch, and she said, sure, and so we began to have lunch, and she was an English major, I was a business finance major, we talking about school a little bit, and then talking about visions and backgrounds, and then I asked her about her faith, and she made the following comment, well, I grew up Presbyterian, and I like going to church, but my faith is really more of a private matter, I don't like to talk about it, I, I mean, I believe in Jesus, but I don't think everybody should should necessarily believe in Jesus. I don't want to tell other people what to believe. I think we should all try to find our own way. What do you believe? Well, I laughed and said, well, I'm actually one of those Christians who thinks everybody should believe in Jesus. Uh, I talked about Philippians chapter 2, verse 10, where Paul says that one day every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. And I quoted Peter in Acts 4 and said, you know, Peter says that there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Well, she kind of looked at me with like deer in headlights and uh, said, huh. And then she said, well, I'm not a fundamentalist like you. Uh, there, there are so many different religions in the world. How could we possibly say that everybody needs to believe in Jesus? Recognizing that our lunch date was over um, <laughs> and there was not going to be a second date, uh, I decided to talk to her about the cross of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and the exclusive claims of Christ. But you know, she was right. There are so many different religions in the world. In fact, some studies say there are over 4,200 different religions in the world. How can we be so sure that Jesus, 
when we celebrate this Christmas season? How can we be so sure that he's the only way? Who are we to say that everyone needs to believe in Jesus? I mean, in our postmodern culture where truth is relative, truth is determined by your own experience, our culture says to us, that's fine that you've had an experience of Jesus, but who are you to tell me that I need to believe in Jesus? How can we be so sure? How can we be so sure that Jesus alone is Lord? How can we be so sure that Jesus alone is the one that we should worship? To find out, open your Bibles to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, beginning at verse 12. It may be found on page 1137 of your pew Bible. John chapter 8, beginning at verse 12. But Before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit again to guide us in the reading and the preaching of his holy word. Please join me as you pray. Holy Spirit, we're so grateful that you inspired John to put pen to paper that we might have the words of Jesus today. We pray, Lord, that as we read your holy inspired word, that you might give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that might be opened and transformed at the reading and the preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name, we pray and all God's people said, amen. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 12. Listen to the word of the Lord. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, in order for us to fully understand what Jesus is saying here, we need to kind of put it in its historical and biblical context. Jesus is in the temple courts during the Feast of Booths. Now, the Feast of Booths was one of the great three pilgrimage festivals of the Jewish people, and it was kept on the, for seven days from the 15th to the 22nd on the seventh month of the year. The designation, the Feast of Booths, comes from the requirement to live in booths for the seven days of the feast. This feast had a historical reference to the exodus from Egypt and reminded the people of Israel of their wandering and their dwelling in booths while they were in the wilderness. During the Feast of Booths, There was a lighting of four huge lamps that were in the temple courts of the women to remind everyone of how God lit and guided their way while they were wandering in the wilderness with a a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by the day. 
Men of piety as a part of this week would, would dance around with, the, with uh, holding torches and, and lighting these wonderful radiant uh, candles. And it would light not just the temple, but it would light all of Jerusalem together. It's in this context, in this temple, in the midst of this festival, under these candles that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. The Greek word for world here is cosmos. We get the English word cosmos from cosmos. Jesus is saying, I'm not just the light of Jerusalem. I'm not just the light of Israel. I'm the light of the world, the cosmos, all of creation. And Jesus makes an exclusive claim. He is the light. He's not a light. He's the light. But it's an inclusive invitation. For all the world has Jesus come. For Jew and Gentile alike. Every tribe and tongue, Jesus has come to help light their way. As we talked about last week, as God incarnate, God in the flesh, Jesus is the light of truth for everyone. The closer we get to the light of Jesus, the more we understand the truth of God. The further we are from Jesus and from his teachings, the further we are from the light of Jesus, the further we are from the truth. Because Jesus is the truth. He is the light, the light of the whole world. But how can Jesus make such a a claim? I mean, that's a pretty bold claim. Light of the world? The light? The world? That's a lot. In fact, the Pharisees actually questioned Jesus' claim. In verse 13 of our text, it says, So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. In Mosaic law, it was required that there be two or more witnesses to establish a case. Jesus knows this, so in verse 17 and 18 of our text, Jesus says, In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Jesus' authority is affirmed by the witnesses, two witnesses, himself and his heavenly Father. And his heavenly Father makes his witness known through the signs and wonders that Jesus was able to do while he was here on this earth. Later in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 37 through 38, Jesus will say this, If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. If you don't believe my words, at least look at what I've been doing. And what is it that Jesus has been doing? Well, we look at the Gospel of John and we can go to John chapter two, the first sign that Jesus does. It's an amazing party trick. He, he takes water and he turns it into wine and, and everyone is, is reveling and, and enjoying this wonderful wine that Jesus was able to create from water to wine. Then in John chapter 5, Jesus sees a a man who's paralyzed, and he heals him and allows the man to get up and walk. Then in in John chapter 6, there's a a hungry crowd, and he feeds 5,000 people with just five barley loaves and two fish, and there's plenty left over. And then in John chapter 9, he sees a man who was born blind, and he gives him sight. And John 11. He sees Lazarus, who's been dead for several days, and he raises Lazarus from the dead. But the greatest work, the greatest work that Jesus ever did is found here at the cross. As Jesus says in John chapter 19, while hanging helplessly on a cross, it is finished. The work that Christ came to do, the sinless sacrifice, the holy life that Jesus lived, 
who lived in perfect obedience to our Heavenly Father so that he might pay the price for our sins with his death on a cross. And on the third day, he rose again, conquering sin and death on our behalf, doing something for us that we can never do for ourselves. Yes, how can we be so sure that Jesus Christ alone is the light of the world? Because nobody, and I mean no one, has ever done what Jesus did. Buddha died at the age of 80 in 483 B.C., after he ate some wild mushrooms that weren't good for him. Buddha's body, Buddha's body was cremated. I'm sorry, I, 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 Buddha, I, I rubbed that with words. Buddha's body was cremated, and no one has ever seen or heard from him since. Muhammad died on June 8th in 632 AD from a high fever. They buried him in Medina, and his remains are still there. Confucius died in November, on November 21st, 479 BC. Confucius is buried in Khufu, Shandong province of China. His decomposed body is still there. None of these men ever appeared again. None of these men have ever been heard from again. But Jesus, Jesus is alive. And if you go to his tomb, it's empty because he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father. In fact, when Jesus first rose, he spoke to many people. Hundreds of people saw the risen Jesus. And we are here today because Jesus is alive. Because no one has ever done what Jesus did. How can we be so sure that Jesus is the light, that Jesus is the way, that Jesus is the truth? Because he rose again. And the world has been forever changed by that life and life and light of Jesus. Yes, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus came to this earth to save us, to give us light, to show us how to, how to live and how to love. If we will simply follow him, walk in his light, not in the darkness, then we'll have the light of life. But what does it mean for you and me today to walk in the light of Christ, to follow him? What, what does that mean exactly? How should we live in the light of Christ? What does it mean for us to follow Jesus today? Well, over the last four months, I have been living in the Sermon on the Mount. What I mean by that is this last July, I had an opportunity to go to Lady Lodge. Anyone ever been to Lady Lodge? It's on the Rio Frio uh, HEB Foundation. It's near Kerrville. It's a great retreat center. Uh, Dale Bruner, who's a wonderful New Testament scholar who actually teaches at Hollywood Presbyterian Church, is a great Presbyterian um, uh, teacher, uh, did this whole series, weekend series, on the Sermon on the Mount. He's written this two-volume set on the Gospel of Matthew. It's incredible. And I, when I was uh, taking my, doing, working on my doctorate, I had a class um, with Dallas Willard, and he told me that one of the best things I could do for my discipleship is to read through the Sermon on the Mount for a whole month. Well, I've decided to do that, and now I've done it for, for four months. And it's been amazing. Every day I've been reading through the Sermon on the Mount, and I've been leading a Bible study on the Sermon on the Mount on uh, Wednesdays and uh, Thursdays, and I've been teaching a Sunday school class on the Sermon on the Mount. I've been living in the Sermon on the Mount. And for me, if you want to know what it means to follow Jesus, if you want to know what it means to walk in the light of Christ, ultimately it means to live according to the Sermon on the Mount that we find in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. In fact, John Stott has a great commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. Dale Bruner, you can read his. Or even Dietrich Bonhoeffer's wonderful book, Cost of Discipleship, is an exposition of the Sermon on the Mount. Dallas Willard's book, Divine Conspiracy, is an exposition of the Sermon on the Mount, what it means to live out the Sermon on the Mount. It's in light of the Sermon on the Mount. Following Jesus means that we seek to be salt and light in a dark and hurting world, never calling a brother or sister in Christ a fool. Following Jesus means looking at people with love, not lust. Following Jesus means 
seeking re- never seeking revenge, but praying for our enemies and turning the other cheek when people insult us. Living out the Sermon on the Mount means that we seek to walk and humbly pray to the Lord, using the Lord's prayer as our model prayer, honoring God, seeking his kingdom, seeking his will, feeding others as we have been fed, forgiving others as we have been forgiven, and asking the Lord to lead us down the narrow path of faithfulness and away from temptation. Following Jesus means that our yes is yes and our no is no, that we don't have to say I promise or I guarantee at this time because we always keep our word. Following Jesus means that if someone has charged against us, if someone has something against us, we seek to be reconciled before we ever come to worship today. And we seek reconciliation, not by pointing out the speck in our brother's eye, but first taking the log out of our own eye and, and humble confession and introspection We come to God asking and seeking his forgiveness and coming to our neighbor and seeking their forgiveness as well. His following Jesus means performing acts of piety, not to be seen by men, but rather fasting and praying and giving so that we might have greater fellowship with God. Following Jesus means we don't worry about what the future holds because we know who holds the future. Following Jesus means that we commit our lives, our time, our talents, and our treasures, to seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. Following Jesus for me ultimately means as best we can, prayerfully as we can, living out the golden rule, doing to others what we would have done to us. You know, the golden rule is a call to creativity, is it not? It's a call for us to creatively think about how we might do to others what we would want done to us. Many different religions have a version of the golden rule, but theirs is always negative. Confucius said that don't do to others what you wouldn't want done to you. But Jesus says do to others what you would want done to you. Jesus tells us to go the extra mile, to give the cloak, to, to be generous, to be forgiving, to do what we would want done to us. So what does that look like exactly? What does it look like for us to live out the golden rule? I have a brief video I want to share with you about, it might give us some ideas on how we might live out the golden rule today. Random acts of kindness. Random acts of kindness. That's what I believe it means to follow Jesus, to walk in the light of Christ, to prayerfully and creatively think about how we might live out the golden rule by doing to others what we would have done to us. What would Jesus do if he were us today? I'm pretty sure he would give that cup of cold water. I'm pretty sure that he would feed that man who was hungry with a hot dog, maybe something a little healthier. (laughs) I'm pretty sure he would have helped that kid who fell off the skateboard. He would have probably helped that woman walk across the street. Yet how often are we so busy with our own daily lives that we don't take notice of the opportunities that God gives to us to do that kind gesture, that random act of kindness? Several months ago, I was in the grocery store. I was third in line. The woman who was in the front of the line was uh, trying to pay for her groceries. She was kind of fumbling through her purse, and the guy who was second in line just pulls out a 20 and says, ma'am, I've got it, and he just pays for it. She goes, oh, you don't need to do that. He says, no, I I want to. I said, thank you, thank you. And I thought to myself, man, I'm a preacher. I should have done that. I was slow to act, and I was thinking about whether or not I was going to get home to watch the Cowboys game, which turned out to be a waste of time. 
how often are we so focused on our own thing that we're not paying attention to the opportunity that's right before us? This Christmas season, may we take time each and every day to, to pray that God might guide us so that we might creatively treat others the way we'd want to be treated, to go that extra mile. Yes, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The light of Christ, the light of life, shines through us as we follow Jesus and seek to live out that golden rule. I found that as I pray each day and pray each hour of the day, at some point saying, God, help me to see how I might serve another, opportunities present themselves. May God guide each one of us this week and this year as we seek to be a light of his love, as we seek to follow Jesus, walking in the light of Christ so that others may see our good deeds and give praises to our Father who's in heaven. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for the great gift of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world, who came to bring light into a dark and fallen world. And Lord, now as we walk in the light of Christ, as we seek to follow Jesus, Lord, help us to reflect your light by living out your golden rule, by creatively, prayerfully treating others the way that we would want to be treated, so that you, O Lord, might be glorified. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ, and all God's people said, Amen. In response to